the uh, things that are going on in this temple that Ezekiel's seen, that he's sort of been given the grand tour of, that's sort of measured for him. Now we're seeing uh, the altar, as we saw in chapter 43, it was described and it was purified so that it could be used. Now we're going to see a variety of other things that are associated with the, the temple, the service in the temple, and those who minister at the temple. So, chapter 44, verses 1 to 4. <coughs> and he brought me back by the way of the outer gate of the sanctuary, which faces the east, and it was shut. The Lord said to me, This gate shall be shut, it shall not be opened, and no one shall enter by it, for the Lord God of Israel has entered by it. Therefore it shall be shut. As for the prince, he shall sit in it as prince, to eat bread before the Lord. He shall enter by way of the porch of the gate, and shall go out by the same way. Then he brought me by way of the north gate to the front of the house, and I looked. And behold, the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord, and I fell on my face. Alright. So he brought me back uh, to the uh, east gate. Now what was significant about the east gate that you can remember? God's gate. Yes. Yes. Remember, he came in back in chapter 43, verse 4 and 5 and so forth through the east gate. Now, what do we find out about the east gate? (coughs) It's shut. How shut is it? It's hermetically sealed. It shall not be open, and no one shall enter by it. For the Lord God of Israel has entered by it, therefore it shall be shut. Now, why is that gate permanently closed? Because God used it. So? Nobody else came. Special. Nobody else could walk where he walked. It's like it had been lethally contaminated with his own holiness. And if anybody else gets near it, it'll zap you. That's probably the answer. There is another possibility, perhaps. So it's, you're saying it's too holy. To it's too it. holy for ordinary people to come through. Just like, I mean, you know, could anybody just barge into the Holy of Holies anytime they pleased? No. It's too holy. God's presence is too much associated with that room. Could anybody just grab onto the ark? No. God's presence was associated with that piece of furniture. You know, and so forth. Whenever God's specially associated with something, you have to be very careful about it. You know, it's it's like uh, going into a you know nuclear reactor facility or something. You know, there's a lot of dangerous stuff there. It, it's useful. God's holiness is wonderful. But it's very dangerous as well. It's very dangerous because because it, it you know, you, you start messing around with as an ordinary person. And, and you'll be struck dead or whatever. There's another possibility I'll just throw out, but I think I like this one better. And that is, could it be saying that now that God has come in, he's not going back out? It's shut and he's going to stay with his people. I still think I like the first one better. Um, what about the prince? He sits in the Yes, and it becomes his place to eat bread. Yeah, sort of a royal dining room. Is this the same gate? I think it's in the the porch of this gate. 
what he's eating in the porch of the gate that got in. Right. That, I believe, is correct. He doesn't go through that. Can't get in through the gate, but he can use the porch area. Yeah, they had kind of a, I don't know, like a porch, like an entryway kind of a thing, the best I can figure out. And then they have storage areas and stuff. That's correct, yeah. Did I miss something? Who's the prince? Uh, that was another question. What about the prince? What do you know about the prince? We have, I don't know if we've seen anything about him yet. This may be the first mention of the prince. But we'll find a lot about him as we continue going. And it looks to me like he is a kind of the governmental leader. It'd be like the king, only we don't have a king. So he's like the, the leader, the governor. He does not seem to be a symbol of divinity. We're going to later offer sacrifices for him and things like that. But he does seem to be, you know, kind of the governmental official. Well, is the temple here real? That's my question. So he's like just part of the vision. Yes, I think so. He represents the leadership, <coughs> the civil leadership. We'll find out a lot of things about him in the course of the next few chapters. Comments and questions through four. In verse four. This is not a different coming in and filling with the temple. This is just the same one. Yeah, he's seeing it from like a different angle. Yeah, he can't see it through the east gate now because it's closed. But he comes through the north gate and he can see that the glory of the Lord is filling this house. So it's sort of kind of confirming that God really is in there and his glory is filling up the, the temple. The temple. Really. The yeah, he just uses the porch of that east gate. No, no, the, the gates are... The porch is outside the actual part Yes, the that's my understanding. That's what I get out of it. Any reason why he's a prince instead of a king? I don't know about that. God, maybe because God's the only king. I don't know. Is he the only one who can I think so. I don't think anybody else that I can remember in here was allowed to. So he's still pretty special. Yeah. The prince has some greater access to areas holier than ordinary worshippers do. Yeah. He's got some special privileges. Other comments? Five to nine. Mark well, see with your eyes, and hear with your ears all that I say to you concerning all the statutes of the house of the Lord, and concerning all its laws. And mark well the entrance of the house with all exits of the sanctuary. You shall say to the rebellious ones, to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, Enough of all your abominations, O house of Israel. When you brought in foreigners, uncircumcised in heart and uncircumcised in flesh, to be in my sanctuary, profane it, even my house, when you offered my food, the fat and the blood, for they made my covenant void, this in addition to all your abominations. And you have not kept charge of my holy things yourselves, but you have set foreigners to keep charge of my sanctuary. Thus says the Lord God, No foreigner, uncircumcised in heart and uncircumcised in flesh, of all the foreigners who are among the sons of Israel, shall enter my sanctuary. Oh, 
I, so it's very important to follow exactly all the statutes of the house, all its laws. You've got to go in by the entrance. You've got to exit by the exit. You've got to do everything the way the pattern is designed for. That's part of God's rule. You don't take liberties when it's God's stuff. When it's God's holy place. And uh, that leads him to a particular instruction regarding what? Foreigners. Yeah. What about the foreigners? They don't get to come in anymore. Yes. They are not going to be allowed to use the foreigners as their temple servants anymore. Uh, that was a part of the abomination of God when they brought in foreigners uncircumcised in heart and flesh to actually offer service in the sanctuary. They are, that's not to be allowed anymore. They're not to enter his sanctuary, they're not to carry on any of the service of the temple. We are doing things right this time. <coughs> things are to be holy, things are to go according to God's pattern, and, uh, you know, it'd sort of be like maybe, uh, you know, inviting a non-Christian to, uh, you know, maybe uh, bring the sermon or, you know, officiate the Lord's table or lead a prayer for us or whatever. You can imagine some churches might be tempted to do that if he was a, you know, important governmental official or, you know, a big politician or something like that, big businessman, a lot of money, you know, comes in from some who knows where, you know, paganism of some sort or other and, well, you know, sit here at this honored place and maybe you'd like to give a little, you know, speech or whatever. Uh, you know, that would be that, maybe an analogy for us. You know, for them to use foreigners that are not circumcised, they're not proselytes, they're just, you know, not people who serve God, to actually serve in their temple was not appropriate. Comments and questions? Are they doing that? Yeah, in fact, you know, I didn't go back and look this up, but I think I'm right. Um, didn't they have the Nephilim in the temple area that were temple servants, that were foreigners? I'm thinking that's right. Uh, you might have to look that up. And also, what about the Carathites and the Pelathites? Did they do anything in the temple? Yeah, from the beginning? Yeah, but, you know, in the divided kingdom period. Oh, not when they established it and named all the ones that were... Yeah, I don't know that they did in David's day, but didn't they after that? I don't know. I'd have to go back and look that up. But I believe that you'll find some uses of foreigners in the, in the temple. Nephilim as in people of great stature? Nephilim. Nephilim. Am I, is that my Temple name? servants, Ezra 724. Okay. I knew there was some, there's something about that. <laughs> Maybe not a whole lot, but... But it Yeah, there you got them. And now the question might be who they were, but... I didn't, I didn't do a, as much study into that as I probably should have, but... You might look up more about the Nephilim, the Carathites, and the Pelicites. See what you can find out if you want to research that subject. There's oh, 
always a few more things you need to study than what you have. And then there's several more things you need to remember than what you have. So. All right, comments and questions through nine. All right, ten to fourteen. But the Levites went far from me, and Israel went astray. They went astray from me after their idols. Shall bear the punishment for their iniquity. Yet they shall be ministers of my sanctuary, having oversight at the gates of the house and ministering in the house. They shall slaughter the burnt offering and the sacrifice for the people, and they shall stand before them to minister to them. Because they ministered to them before their idols and became a stumbling block and iniquity of the house of Israel, therefore I have sworn against them, declares the Lord God, that they shall bear the punishment for their iniquity. And they shall not come near to me to serve as a priest to me, nor come near to any of my holy things, to the things that are most holy. But they shall bear their shame and their abominations which they have committed. Yet I will appoint them to keep charge of the house of all its service and all that, and of all that shall be done in it. All right, we're looking here at what group? The Levites. And what do we find out about the Levites? What had they done? Yes, they had uh, gone astray together with Israel. Uh, astray in what sense? <coughs> Following idols. What was the consequence of that going to be? And what was that punishment going to be? They weren't going to be actually... Yes, they weren't going to be able to uh, come near the, the holy things or to the most holy things. They were going to have a more limited service role in, the, in this temple. Since these Levites were not really faithful to God earlier, that is limiting what they can do. What are they going to be used for here? some uh, service in the temple and yes and yes they're going to serve the people and so they're going to be they're going to be overseers of the temple gates, they're going to serve in the temple, and they're going to minister to the people. But they're not going to have the close connection with the holy things like a priest would have. So, when you have failed <coughs> morally in your service to God, does that exclude you from serving in God's house? Say no. No. Say no. <laughs> Could it, could it disqualify you from serving in a leadership role in God's house? Yeah. Yeah, it could. I mean, you think about it for us. Um, if, if an elder, if a, if a man, you know, if a man who's maybe a good man in many ways has, uh, you know, had some celebrated case of adultery in his fairly recent past, could that, could that block his being considered as qualified to be an elder? Yeah, it could. He's got to have, uh, he's got to be blameless. He's got to have a good reputation of those who are outside the church. And several other things that might be called into question. 
you know, when, when, when we do something like this, when the Levites have turned away from God earlier, God still uses them. It's not like he doesn't have a job for them. But they're not going to be in the same degree of leadership as these uh, some other people that we'll see here in a minute. So I think that would be a principle that we would see today as well. There might well be some times when a person, because of what he's done, would need to step away from certain kinds of, of roles among God's people. Comments and questions? Okay. Um, the next section, I think, is very rich, and uh, there's just a lot in it. But I think we'll go ahead and read the whole thing, and then we'll go back and just kind of work our way through it a step at a time. 15 to 27. The Levitical priest, the son of Zadok, who kept charge of my sanctuary when the sons of Israel went astray from me, shall come near to me to minister to me. And they shall stand before me to offer me the fat and the blood of the Lord God. And they shall enter my sanctuary, and they shall come near to my table to minister to me and keep, and keep my charge. It shall be that when they enter at the gates of the inner court, they shall be clothed with linen garments, and wool shall not be on them while they are ministering in the gates of the inner court of the house. Let them turbans shall be on their head, and linen undergarments shall be on their wings. They shall not bear themselves with anything which makes them sweat. And when they go out into the outer court, into the inner court to the people, they shall put off the, their garments in which they have been ministering, and lay them in the holy chambers. And then they shall put on the other garments, so they will not transmit holiness to the people with their garments. Also, they shall not shave their heads, yet they shall not, yet they shall not let their locks go on, and they shall only trim their hair of their heads. Nor shall any of the priests wine when they enter the inner court, and they shall not marry a widow or divorced woman, but shall take virgins from the offspring of the house of Israel, or a widow who is a widow of a priest. Moreover, they shall teach my people the difference between the holy and profane, and cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. And in dispute they shall take their stand to judge, and they, they shall judge it according to my ordinances. They shall also keep my laws and my statutes, for all my appointed feasts, and sanctify my Sabbaths. They should not go to a dead person to divide themselves. However, for a father, for a mother, for a son, for a brother, for a daughter, for a brother, or for a sister, who has not had a husband, they may defile themselves. After he spends the seven days shall elapse for him. On the, on the day that he goes in the sanctuary, in the inner court to minister in the sanctuary, he shall offer his sin offering in the prayers of the Lord God. Okay. In, con- in contrast with uh, the Levites of 10 to 14, who do we have here? Yes, sons of Zadok, the Levitical priests. And they were faithful uh, when God's people went astray. And so what uh, responsibilities will they have? They shall come near. Yes, they will be able to come near God and do what? Actually offer the sacrifice. Yes, offer the sacrifices and, uh, you know, come near his table and, and do all the, the special things that would be associated with more holy uh, service and responsibilities in the worship. Um, it's interesting, I mean, just that contrast. You see the Levites, you see these uh, sons of Zadok, you see a division of labor. 
in what they were to do. <clears throat> Seems to me like there's a lot of lessons to be learned from that. We understand that essentially this is talking about our day. You know, this this uh, new temple is talking about God reestablishing himself among his people. Now obviously he's using figures that relate to things they could understand, like a temple and sacrifice and priesthood and so forth. But the principles, I think, are very applicable. What can you think in the New Testament that would indicate that it's proper to have some division of labor among us? He gave some to be apostles and teachers and preachers and all those other things. Where was that? Not Ephesians. Ephesians 4.11, yeah. What else shows that division of labor concept in the New Testament? Elders and deacons. Elders and deacons. What else? The hands shall not say something because you're not something. Yes, the body idea with the many members, and the members don't all have the same function, but they all need each other, and that no member is unimportant. That's 1 Corinthians 12. That's very good. <clears throat> Can you think of another case in the New Testament of a very distinct division of labor? That too, but I'm thinking in the church more. Men and women. Think of something specific. Yes. Remember that situation where the Grecian widows were being neglected in that. Uh, you know, benevolence, uh, food service that was going on there. And they came to the twelve, the apostles. The apostles said, hey, you know, we got too much to do preaching and praying. So you find seven men and we'll appoint them over this task. So some of the people were to emphasize preaching and praying. All these seven men were to oversee the distribution of the food. Now, I mean, they didn't teach or pray. In fact, we see two of them, Stephen and Philip, doing that. But it means they had some special roles, some special responsibilities. And that's, uh, you know, very appropriate uh, for us to to think about. Um, Can you think about some applications of that for our day? Um... Is it appropriate for people in a congregation to be assigned specific tasks? Yeah, I think so. We wouldn't expect every person to do every task. It's appropriate to divide those up. Um, I just had this question asked of me the other day. See how you would answer this. Would it be okay to have, say, two preachers in a congregation, one of whom was older, and was considered more of, you know, just doing all the preaching responsibility, and one of whom was younger, and his role was more to try to, to teach and study with and encourage young people. Would that be okay? I think absolutely. That person asked me that question, you know, saying that they would talked about that concept and some people had opposed that. There's nothing biblically wrong with that. You know, we might not like the idea of youth minister. I'm not exactly sure why we don't. Other than, I'm not big on the idea of minister, period. That almost seems like a title to me. Uh, the way we use it, even though it just means servant. But, uh, but it's, it's very appropriate that, you know, each person has his own roles. So that concept is good. Now, 
in this situation you learn something about that. Who should have the higher degrees of spiritual responsibility, spiritual leadership? The ones who have shown a track record of standing firm for God and being faithful. I think so. You know, would it be smart to take somebody fresh out of being baptized and appoint him as an elder? No. It says not to. Why does it say not to? Yeah. It'll tempt him to pride. I mean, you know, you would you would give responsibilities kind of commensurate with the spiritual growth of the person. So that's one thing to consider, just as we, we've looked at 15 and 16. You have comments and questions on 15 and 16 on some of this division of labor concept. Well, he has some specific rules for these priests. <clears throat> like in 17 to 19, what's the rule? That's a good thing. <laughs> when you go out, be, be clothed appropriately. Do what now? Wear linen and things that don't make them spice. <laughs> Why? <clears throat> you don't I suspect that the sweat was sort of considered a questionably holy bodily emission. And uh, that, you know, linen breathes, I guess, does it? They had dry fit, dry weave clothes back then. <laughs> I think so. But when they go out to the people, why were they supposed to change clothes? <clears throat> Yeah, I think so. You want to contaminate the people with too great a holiness, or you might have a meltdown or something. I don't understand that whole concept because if this is all <coughs> messianic, um, there it seems like these priests are acting as mediators between God and the people, and people can't get too close to God or even too close to His holiness. But today, the only mediator we have is Christ, and we have direct access. So I don't understand the parallel very well. Yeah, um, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to argue that strenuously. Uh, I suppose that even though we have access to God, some are closer to Him than others. And I don't know, some of this is just very, very, um, you know, it's very much drawn in the terms of the you know, law of Moses and the sacrifices and all that I mean some of this I don't know exactly how to get a parallel because of that so I mean you could ask the same thing about maybe the sacrifices, how can they offer sacrifice well, it's parallel to Jesus' sacrifice maybe, perhaps these priests in that sense are parallel to Jesus you know And sometimes, you know, this may not... This is part of the imagery of a good temple. And we can see parallels in some cases that are helpful to us. Perhaps that's the best way to say it. Now, there are a lot of rules 
for the priests besides just what they wear. How about verse 20? needs to be just right. Not too short, not too long. That's something that, you know, would be considered holy. Um, what about verse 21? Don't drink wine. Yeah. Well, why not? Yeah. Sounds like the Nazarite. Yeah, but also... I... I always think of Nadab and Abihu because right after that incident there's this little passage about not drinking when you when you're on duty so to speak and so I always kind of do the conclusion that they may have been intoxicated when they offered strange fire. I think that's quite a reasonable conclusion in that passage. And you can really see the danger of that. Obviously when you're a bit under the influence you're not thinking as soberly and seriously. And, uh, you know, how does that relate to uh, the service of God? You really do. I mean, when you think about the Old Testament priest, when he entered the court and began to go about some special worship service, he wanted to be in total control of his faculties. To do it just right. To be reverent. To follow the exact procedures. A drunken priest who's staggering all over the place and kind of, you know, throws this over here and that over there. It doesn't work. God will not put up with it. Um, drunkenness in that case, as in the case of Nadab and Abihu, could be deadly. Uh, so they were they were not to uh, to drink any wine when they were going to enter the court. <laughs> Comments and questions through twenty one. Interesting that here still the priest. I guess they get to drink outside. Yeah, um, perhaps so. Although in Leviticus ten, were they? What did it say? I guess the same thing. So. Uh, I have a question. Well, maybe not. Because we know in the Bible period, wine was used kind of as a beverage with very little effect because it wasn't watered down and all that. So maybe, maybe you know, drinking wine with their meal wouldn't have been okay, but, you know, if you go in before God, you've got to be in total control. I mean, you wouldn't want just even a little slight amount of, you know, out of control of your faculties. But it may be that, that as with ordinary uh, people in, in the Bible times, they could, they could drink, you know, wine with a meal or whatever. The Nazarites know. But as far as I know, there was no rule on that for the purposes. <laughs> what about 22? Could only marry certain people. Who could he not marry? 
a widow, unless you were a widow of a priest? Yeah. Or a divorced woman? Yeah. Why would that be? Yes, I think the idea of having purity in the marriage partner. Um, really, if you're going to do the Lord's work, then you need a mate who's committed to the Lord and who's there's no there's no taint about. You know, so so she needs to be uh, from a holy background. And then you can see what they were to do in 23 and 24. What was their responsibilities? Teach. Teach what? I don't know if it's on the other page. <laughs> My people, the difference between the holy and profane. All right. They are to be teachers of holiness and purity. That's a part of the responsibility of these leaders of God's people. They have to teach the others how to draw the lines properly. And what else were they supposed to do? Judge. Yes, administer justice and judgment. Uh, that was a big thing, you know, for them to do. Teach, uh, to, to resolve issues. And, and when they do this judging, how were they supposed to do it? According to the laws of God. Absolutely. He is the center of attention. You do things according to his ordinances. You keep his laws and his statutes. Everything was to be regulated by the will of the Lord. And think about us as priests. We, in a sense, are in a parallel role. And we also ought to teach, we ought to resolve conflicts in accordance with God's word. You know, there'd be a parallel for us, really, in all the priestly instructions. Is there, like, is it a, there are third duty? Is it, like, teaching, judging, and keeping the ordinances or is Maybe so. part of the judging? Uh, you might be able to take it either way, but, but I put it separately. <sighs> then what about in 25 to 27? Death. <laughs> yeah, what about death? Yes. Who all? Yes. You know, you can for a father, mother, son, daughter, brother, sister, uh, if it's an unmarried sister. Uh, but otherwise, they weren't allowed to go to a dead person. They weren't to go to uh, funerals and things like that. Um, because they were specially committed to God. And therefore, certain kinds of things were more associated with the devil, you know, if death is. So they were not supposed to have anything to do with that. It is odd that it doesn't mention the wife. It didn't in the Leviticus either. And the question is, do we already know that the wife's excluded? Or was the wife not excluded? I remember hearing that discussion before for some reason. <laughs> I can preach it either way. 
Which way would you like? Is this different from the original Levitical? Not really, I don't think. Uh, Just for the, the high priest, it was different, but not for the priest priest. I believe that is correct. That would be Leviticus 21, I think. Well, the 21, 2. And 3. Not Leviticus. Mm-hmm. Other comments and questions through 27. Okay, so the, the high priest was prevented from, yes. from anyone, basically? Uh, is that the only funeral he goes to is his home? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I seem to recall someone saying that. Do, do you reckon he has to? Well, he didn't have to. He could only go to one funeral of his. Yeah. Leviticus 2110. Okay. Uh, Other comments and questions? It seems like, I don't know, like these are kind of a weird combination of the laws for the high priest and the laws for the other priest. Like they don't really follow that well. Mm-hmm. I'll buy that. But they are mostly trying to say you have to stand out as holy if you're going to be one of God's special priests. why these particular things clothes, hair, drink, marriage, duties, and death? Most, many of those are rather basic things. So these may be just some basic rules and laws to help us see that these priests um, you know, have a, have a standard. Uh, you know, they, they follow as well. Other comments? Well, I have about 28 to the end of the chapter. I am to be the only inheritance the priest had. You are to give them no possession in Israel. I will be their possession. They will eat the grain offerings, the sin offerings, and the guild offerings, and everything in Israel devoted to the Lord will belong to them. The beasts of all the first fruits and of all your special gifts will belong to the priests. You are to give them the first portion of your ground meal so that a blessing may rest in your house. The priest must not eat anything, bird or animal, found dead or turned torn by wild animals. Alright, so what was it that the Levitical priests were going to get in terms of a territorial inheritance? <laughs> Nothing physical. But what did they get? God. God. He was the thing they inherited. He was their supreme blessing. They don't have real estate. They have the Lord. And there are several passages in the law that indicate that. That, that that's what they got. What did the rest of the Israelites get? Yeah, they got land arid. What did the priests and Levites actually get? They got 48 cities interspersed among the tribes so that they could do their job of teaching and leading the people. Did the priests... 
when they were actually serving, they always had been uh, they did go to Jerusalem. Sometimes they took turns doing that, but they also had a ministry among the people around as well. So in, in Jesus' day, we know they divided them up into like 24 segments, and each segment served like two weeks of the temple. So, I mean, really, why do they need any land area inheritance. The Lord has provided for them to eat of certain offerings and the first fruits and things like that. And, uh, you know, they they have the Lord. Uh, what, what did the priests get in the Old Testament? Like to eat? Well, no, what, what was their inheritance? They got those 48 cities scattered through the others, which got them in contact with the people to where they could be teaching them and leading them and so forth. Uh, but as far as a, a territory, they didn't get it. They didn't need it. Because they had the Lord, and they got the tithe, the first fruits, the sacrifice, sacrificial meat and things like that for their actual daily sustenance. Like, with the meat, do you only get to eat meat while you're in Jerusalem? Because otherwise you'd have to, like, take it from all the way to Dan or something. I don't know how many days' journey that would be, but... Not that saying that God couldn't make this meat not spoil, but... Yeah, I don't know what to say about that. The grain works, that's easy. Yeah. Yeah, it's easier to... Keep grain. Maybe he just hasn't gone out that far with the story. Okay, you got yeah, they could. They didn't have a farm land to be able to actually do things. But they could you know, roadkill it, got his head knocked off, so it blood, blood, blood properly or something. Did they get like part of the tithe or something? Yes, yes, exactly. So that would be animals, right? Personally? Um, like people tithe their animals. And they, they mostly redeemed their animal and gave money, though, didn't they? They did? Because <coughs> they could. Like the the donkey, they could redeem it, and if they didn't, then they'd have to break its neck. <laughs> totally random piece of information. No, thank you for that. <laughs> Other comments and questions? Verse thirty. Um, in the Bible, the first fruits will go into God. There's that verse again. Okay. You're saying that the first of the fruit, first fruits were given to God, or all the first fruits were given to God? The first first fruits are all of the first fruits. Uh, okay. They were given to God. Where is that? Sure about that. Is there a difference between like the very first yes. and then the first fruits of every year? Because I'm not, because there's a one place that talks about like growing the fruit trees and like you can leave them up for so long and then you have to that one year. 
Yeah, but are we assuming in that would the priest not have get, gotten even under the law to eat the first fruits? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Numbers 18 sort of talks about like all the best of the fresh oil and all the best of the fresh wine of the grain and the first fruits of those that they give to the Lord, I give them to you. Just okay. God talking to Aaron and other folks. What verse is that? That was verse 12. Okay. So, so that would seem to indicate that the first fruits did belong to the priests. You see how much we still need Leviticus. <laughs> how soon we forget. Alright. Other comments and questions on chapter uh, 44? Chapter 45, verses 1 through uh, 8. And when you shall divide by lot the land for inheritance, you shall offer an allotment to the Lord, a holy portion of the land. The length shall be the length of 25,000 cubits, and the width shall be 20,000. It shall be holy within all its boundary roundabout. Out of this there shall be for the holy place a square roundabout, 500 by 500 cubits, and fifty cubits for its open space round about. From this area you shall measure a length of twenty-five thousand cubits and a width of ten thousand cubits, and it shall be the sanctuary, the most holy place. It shall be the holy portion of the land, it shall be for the priests, the ministers of the sanctuary, who come near to minister to the Lord, and it shall be a place for their houses, and a holy place for the sanctuary. An area of 25,000 cubits in length and 10,000 in width shall be for the Levites, the ministers of the house, and for their possession cities to dwell in. You shall give the city possession of an area 5,000 cubits wide and 25,000 cubits long, alongside the allotment of the holy portion. It shall be for the whole house of Israel. The prince shall have land on either side of the holy allotment and the property of the city adjacent to the holy allotment and the property of the city, on the west side toward the west, and on the east side toward the east, and in length comparable to one of the portions from the west border to the east border. This shall be his land for possession in Israel. So my princes shall no longer oppress my people, but they shall give the rest of the land to the house of Israel according to their tribe. Okay. Now, we are actually starting into the dividing of the land to some extent. We're going to talk more about that later as well. What was the first part they uh, set apart? Yes. What it, the, the part for God. You know, that's got to be the number one consideration. God's holy space. How big was it? 25,000 by 20. Yeah. Cubits. I don't really know exactly what that amounts to. But that's a pretty good area. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. Well, this was the special allotment to the Lord. Could you do anything? Is it just like empty land? How 
Wildlife Preserve. I don't know about that. Did anybody? Was it just this big thing and you don't walk on it because it's holy? Or? Uh, not that I know of. That's a pretty big area to avoid. Yes. This is like the this is like the District of Columbia, you know. Good place to avoid also, but for different reasons. <laughs> um, I don't know exactly what they were allowed to do on it, uh, but it was still considered holy to the Lord, and they were supposed to put the sanctuary in the middle of that. Uh, measure it out to where the sanctuary is in the middle. Is that the temple? Yes. So, you got your space. You know, you don't still have your map. Some of you might have a map like uh, in your Bible. Which map do you want? Uh, Palestine, anything in Palestine. Oh, well, we kind of got rid of that. Okay, well then, don't worry about it. It's really small. It's just on the edge of your Okay, well, well, the idea is that you've got, you know, you've got like, let's see. You've got the Mediterranean Sea over here. Got the Sea of Galilee, Jordan River down the Dead Sea. Now you've got you've got like a strip here, apparently that's the Lord's strip, the the special you know dedicated land for the Lord. And in the middle of that, you've got this holy space for the temple. That's I think that's something along that line. We didn't have that before. There was no special holy territory for the Lord. Um, you know, Jerusalem, I guess. But not a swath of land like this. And in this uh, area, the priests come and they do their work. And the Levites, and they actually have, you know, places to live there. And uh, so, you've got, you've got this sectioned off for the Lord and his workers. Um, it's interesting that God's presence needs to be in the very center. You know, that's where God needs to be. And that his land was sectioned off first, which is appropriate. Well, um, I guess... Yeah, maybe I should not, well, I don't know. Maybe not in the middle, but in, in, within this area, so I was assuming it was basically in the, in the middle of this area. It's supposed to be on one side, but maybe I... You're saying the sanctuary was in the middle of the sanctuary? Right, right. Was the land in the middle of the um, not quite, but pretty close. Um, in chapter 47, they're going to divide up the land, and they're going to have so many up above and so many below. I'll have to work on that when we get there. I, I have not recently gone back through and worked on that, but you've got, you've got this swath, and then you've got swaths going up and swaths going down from that special. Here. So that's where you get the idea that his is kind of like in the middle of that. Yeah, and I think, I, I was thinking of the sanctuary as being kind of in the middle of that oh, that swath. makes sense. Because, I mean, verse 2 says there's, out of the big area, there'll be a holy place that's 500 by 500, and then you've got 50 cubits 
for an open space around that. Right. And so that could be the end. Mm-hmm. And then verse 3 sounds like you take 25,000 by 10,000 cubits out of the 500 by 500 cubits. <laughs> I uh, probably he's going back to the area of first one. They can't be. No, it's I, I guess what it's doing is repeating this land area of the total and basically saying mark out that big area and then put the sanctuary in the middle. Where it says the whole place. So it's repeating both of them. The big area and the little area inside. How did you come up with eight miles of oh, big ones? 25,000 cubits per cubits per and a half, 25,000 feet would be about five miles. So it'd be a half time again. I can get that, but then it's with this 20,000. Oh, you're done in uh, three. Verse one says 10. Oh, really? What? Oh. It does? Yeah. Yeah. Mine says 10,000 on the Twitter. There's a footnote that says that the Greek manuscript says 20,000. Well, it says 10,000. Because I was thinking, you're 25, 31. Yeah. That's not that far off. Yeah. What if it's 25 by 20? Apparently, there's a textual question on this. Yeah, what if it's 25 by 20? Well, then it would be 6. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. I mean, but then our verse 3 has it at 10,000, and verse 1 has it at 20,000. Mine says 20,000. But then if you look at verse 3 and verse 5, you have two areas that are 25 by 10. So you'd have, if you put them together, you'd have one area that's 25 by 20. In verse 3, you have the sanctuary in a 25 by 10, and then the Levites are hanging out in a 25 by 10. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. And then the city gets a 5 by 25. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's verse 6 alongside the holy portion. So, the governmental sector. So, is there something earlier that talks about this temple being in Jerusalem? Oh, that's a good question. It was on a very high mountain. I don't think so. And it was all the mountains. <clears throat> and there were going to be no dead kings there. But other than that. Other thoughts through about verse uh, 6. You know what this reminds me of a little bit? I don't know that this is really all that uh, significant, but there is a city in Brazil that is very much like uh, patterned. The capital city in Brasilia was built in the late 50s by the, you know, President Kubitschek, and it's different. It's designed to be in the shape of an airplane. <laughs> and, um, you know, it, it is sort of. You've got, you know, that kind of the cabin, you know, the main cabin of the airplane. That's, uh, you know, some parks and just some buildings and things like that. The, the, like the, where the pilot is, what would you call that? Cockpit, yeah. The cockpit is right across the river and it's kind of the, the governmental offices and things like that. And the wings, that's the patterned housing. You know, it's really, I mean, it really is. It's just laid out sort of like an airplane. 
And so everything, it's so boring. I hate the place. I've only been there once. But you're in these, it's like a, a million people. But a million people in these, in these, you know, totally patterned buildings. They have these, these large sectors. I don't know, they must be, uh, I was there once, it's, like, it's been over 15 years ago, but it was probably, uh, these sectors are probably close to a half a mile by half a mile. And, you know, these sectors are all these, these buildings, you know, in this sector of, of housing. And then, like, there's a strip, you know, on one end of this that's commercial. And then you got the next one, and the next one. And they're all over the place. Every, you've seen one of these big blocks, it looks like the next one, it looks like the next one, it looks like the next one. It's all just very patterned and standard. So it's, to me, it's kind of ugly. I kind of like the variety where you kind of, you know, have a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Probably not the best uh, zoning planning maybe to do that. But, uh... You know, it just seems more interesting. Uh, but but the Brazilians like it. I mean, they think that's a really cool... Late, uh, late 50s. 1950? Uh, they built in the middle of nowhere and built a... They yeah. absolutely did. They went into the marshy land and way in the interior that was underdeveloped, picked out a place, and built their city to be the capital. And the pattern you've got Pattern well, they that they that? Oh yeah, oh yeah. That's oh. part of the part of the prestige of the city. Of the city, or yeah, yeah. But compared to places like like Rio, it's, it's a small town. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not. I mean, well, people didn't flock. To they the got well. They right got a million people there, but Rio's got ten, and Sao Paulo's got twenty. So <clears throat> I don't know. Surely helped some the development of the interior. I don't know. It's kind of weird, though, because it's completely away from, you know, everything. Everything in Brazil is on the coast, but that's all the story. But, you know, it's just that idea of, you know, you've got this all mapped out. Everything's planned out. Any more stories you'd like for me to go off on the tension? Are they allowed to build other appendages on the airplane? You know, I don't know exactly what they've done about more close to the city. I don't know how they do that. No, I don't remember the engine. Power plants. No. Yeah, could be. No. But but from a, the air, especially, you can really see it. Is. So is this still the the ideal? Yes. No, I mean, this is. I think so. It's somewhat patterned after the real division of the territory. Somewhat. But it's it's an idealized thing. Yeah, very much so. You'll never find it actually sectioned off like this. This is just a, a way of picturing. And I think perhaps giving the Lord his space right up front. He gets his place. That's the priority. You know, you see, you see spiritual lessons being taught. It reminds me a little bit of the, the camp of the Israelites when they were wandering in the wilderness where you had God's spot and then you had the Levites around it and then you had everybody else around yes. it still. Yes. That same. And it was all according to an exact pattern. But God God belongs first and in the middle. Did it get the most out of the distribution? Did it get the most out of the distribution of the land? 
I don't know, and I don't think we could you could ever actually divide that land up this way. This is a very idealized picture. So I think it's more just to show the equity and the priority given to the Lord. Other questions and comments? Nine to twelve. Oh, I have a question. Okay. The prince. Yes. This is the same. Oh, I needed to say something about that. Go ahead. I just wanted you to say something about it. <laughs> I was going to say, wait, what about the prince? That's uh, just to remind you. What we said we're going to expound on him. Yes. Well, look at what he says about the prince. He gets land on either side of this holy allotment, adjacent to the holy allotment, and that'll be his land. And so what won't he do? Oppress the people. Yes. They will, he will not take advantage of the people to try to get their territory. He's got his, and that's all he gets. In contrast with our famous oppressor of the people to get more land. Who is that? Ahab. Ahab. Yeah, you know he's kind of a classic case of, you know, um, you're king. Why don't you go take it? You know, kill off him and his sons. That way it'll be yours. That won't happen here. Um, so uh, that that's the prince's territory. Now here's one one thing you might notice. I don't know that it's a big deal, but obviously from this structure there's a different living arrangement for the priests and Levites than there was. They were scattered throughout the territory, now they're there by the, the temple itself. I notice it went from singular to plural, but the prince and seven to princes in verse eight. Mm, okay. So it did. <laughs> <laughs> that was really observant. So does that seem odd? Not especially. Is it like successive princes? Yeah, I, I don't know that he's really trying to envision that there'll be one eternal prince. So, any of the government, the prince just signifies the, the government. government? I think so. That's my take on this. There's too many things said about the prince that just wouldn't fit with Jesus. So I think we should more take it as just a governmental function. <clears throat> so does this follow the separation of church and state. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> uh, so. Looking like a lawyer. Yeah. Alright, 13 to, uh, 9 to 12, rather. 9 to 12. This is the Lord God. Enough, you princes of Israel, put away violence and destruction, and practice justice and righteousness. Stop your expropriations from my people, declares the Lord God. You shall have just balance, a just epoch, and a just bath. The epoch and the bath shall be the same quantity, so that the bath will contain a tenth of the omer and the epoch tenth of the omer. Their standard shall be according to the omer. The shekels shall be twenty gyras, twenty shekels, twenty-five shekels, and fifteen shekels shall be your... Okay. Now what are we doing here? Justice. Just wait. Just waits. 
which would help in and justice among yes and thieves my Bible didn't read that know who's supposed to be just here the princes you know it's important for the governmental leaders to do things with justice remember how much in the earlier prophets even in earlier Ezekiel the injustice the violence the and, and all that were a part of the crimes that led up to God kicking the people out of his land he does not like it when we mistreat people because we have the power to. Well, other than minor prophets was big on some of the weight still on, right? Who was that? Oh. Uh, remember that one called? Amos or Micah? Nobody, they didn't. They didn't. You're thinking about Micah or Amos 8? And verse uh, 5? That is that it? No. Uh, how about Micah four and verse uh, ten and eleven? Wait a minute. Doesn't? Wait a minute. Micah six. Sorry. Said Micah four. Micah 6, verse 10 and 11. I'll get it right. Yeah. That's wonderful. All right. Got it on my second try without a whole lot of information. So. <laughs> but, I mean, that was a problem. You know, and so, you know, in this idealized concept, when God comes back and lives with his people, the people are going to be purified. They're not going to go back to the idolatry, we're not going to go back to the injustice. And as he talks about the uh, stop your expropriations from my people. You know what an expropriation is? I assume that's a, is that a legal term today? Expropriation? I think so. It means legally stealing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> sort of. Kind of what Ahab did with Naboth. He expropriated his territory. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in a domain. Yeah. Yeah. I bet, you know. Hey, we got the power, we're going to take it. Tough. Instead of appropriating when it's expropriating, so it's outside of it. Right, right. I don't think we use that a whole lot, but. It's not usually. Unless you talk about expropriating a stapler from yeah, yeah, you might, you know, we almost use that, uh, almost in jest, yeah. All right, other comments and questions at this point. So the equal is the same as the back, and like, is this all the way through the Bible, like, this is the way there, things worked out? I have no clue, but he's standardizing it now. Okay. 
Yeah. Not that I know how much it eats. I mean, yeah. don't we have a bureau of weights and measures or something mm -hmm. that's supposed to set the standard, whatever? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know. Otherwise, we're probably paying them very well. <laughs> probably. But I mean, what would it be like if a gallon of milk could be, you know, two and a half quarts or four, five quarts or whatever? You never know if you're getting a, ga you know, a standard gallon. So there's standards for things like this. I mean, it makes sense. It creates more fairness. My gallon's bigger than your gallon, kind of thing. This note says that a is a dry measure and a bath is a liquid measure. Makes sense oh. to me. <laughs> <laughs> I thought about that when I read it. <laughs> How would you like to go take a heap up? You'd be very clean, would you? Probably not. Probably not. What is it, N-A-N-E-A? I have no clue. And what does it mean when it says, the shekel can be 20 garrets, 20 shekels, 25 shekels, and 15 shekels shall be your man. I have no idea. Okay. Was there money based on weights? Yes. Okay, so it wasn't like something looked like this, so it's worth whatever. Like how we well, I mean, money varied, but it's, you know, originally it was based on like a weight of gold or a weight of silver or something like that. But then, I mean... Currency can vary. Yeah, there's minas in Luke 19 in the parable of the minas. She was not thinking about the nature of this group. I haven't gotten a on most of No, I mean, some groups are. Some groups are. Other comments or questions? How about uh, 13 to 17? This is the offering used to offer six and eight bucks in a homer, eight and six and eight bucks in a homer, and a homer of barley. And the described portion of the letter, a homer of the barley, can't, a bath, meat, four, which is ten baths, or a homer, ten baths are a homer. And one seat for meat's flock of two hundred in the watering places of Israel, for a grain offering, for a burn offering, and for peace offerings, make a payment for them to praise the Lord God. All the people of land shall give to this offering for the priests in Israel. And it shall be the prince's part to provide the burnt offerings, the grain offerings, and the libations at the feast, on the new moons, and on the Sabbath, and all the appointed feasts of the house of Israel which provide the sin offering, the rain offering, the burnt offering, and the peace offerings to make a payment for the house of Israel. Okay. Now, do you see the gist of this? Providing what? That's the question. And you have two two people, two groups providing what? The people and the princes. Yes. The people provide and stuff to the prince who then uses it for the sacrifice. That's it. For the people? Yes. And for the nation. So the people are providing the stuff to the prince, like the sort of a taxation kind of a thing. And they got a certain percentage of wheat and barley and oil and sheep. And they give it to the prince. And then the prince provides 
the offerings that are necessary on the special days for the house of Israel. <clears throat> Comments and questions? So the prince no longer has to have all this independent wealth to do everything, sort of. Not that he ever really did. He theoretically got taxes all along. But, but yes, that's right. This is a a governmentally or you know God God regulated system of taxing the people, providing for the prince, who uses that to provide for the appropriate sacrifices for the Sabbaths and the feast days and all that kind of stuff. What is your take on the prince that is priest? He just gives the stuff for the priest to sacrifice. Okay. The animals and the grain and whatever. So, I mean, it's kind of like the state providing the raw materials for the special offerings of the nation. Is that what happened under the old law? I think under the old law, it perhaps was more the uh, priesthood themselves than the Okay, that's that my impression. That's my impression. I don't know about that. Okay. I, I wouldn't, nothing in the law will I say loudly, but I think that's the case. I just don't know the law well enough. Other comments and questions? So, was this, it almost looks like this is like. This is what they had to give, and they didn't have to give any more. So the, the prince could not come and say, I need two sheep this right. year. Right. I agree. So it was a known just amount. This is by law. Yeah. That's right. Much better by law than the prince just coming along and taking what he wants. Taking somebody's cute little ewe lamb that they've raised up. <clears throat> That's right. Other comments? Alright, let's stop here then. And uh, we did pretty well today, really, because 44 was a pretty uh, conversational chapter. So uh, we won't, I won't be here next week. But, uh,